Life Changes Church, we are in season two of the Promotable Life series. It is going to be an incredible word. So grab a notebook and a pen and get ready. As Mark alluded to, we are landing our preaching series today, The Promotable Life. Our journey through the narrative of Joseph out of the book of Genesis concludes today. And uh, we're going to root ourselves in chapter 50. But before we get there, as a backdrop, I want to take us to 1940s. Anybody born in the decade of the 1940s? Anyone? Going on? Come on. Come on, people. Let's give those people a round of applause. Amazing. Come on. There we go. Well done, well done. Very, very cool. A few people counting on their hands. Was I born then? Yeah. But it's um, 1940s was a decade uh, not primarily marked by Marriott's birth, but ultimately by uh, the end of World War II. And World War II found its culmination in uh, the Nazis regime were marching what seemed like to inevitable victory across the Eastern European front, and they arrived on the Russian doorstep, and in 1941 through to 1945, they became what was known as the Siege of Leningrad. As the Third Reich surrounded the city of Leningrad, which would be later renamed as St. Petersburg, and for three years, they, for 880 days to be precise, they surround the city, burning all the neighboring villages, taking prisoners of war, uh, not allowing trade in or trade out, because they knew that if they could cripple Leningrad and get them to surrender, Moscow would soon follow, and then the rest of the world would capitulate in its wake. And the world watched anxious, anxiously with bated breath at this scenario playing out, as the headlines of fear and terror, of famine, of war, of death, the death toll went up to 1.6 million people. And people watched this thing, this, this, this moment, this, all eyes were on Leningrad saying, what would happen in Leningrad would lead to the rest of the world. And everyone thought this battle was being fought at this level with the Allied forces and the, the, the Germany's Third Reich and, and will America come in or will they leave it too late? But actually, the real story was happening beneath the surface because there was something called the Vavilov, say that time five times fast, the Vavilov, um, so, yeah, anyway, we'll leave it at that, the Vavilov Institute, a science institute with nine scientists who'd been entrusted with the securing of the safety of the nation in the agricultural sector, who were looking, uh, looking after the seeds and plant crops to feed the generations to come. And when they heard that the army of, the, of Hitler, was, uh, the invading army, was at the doorstep, they closed the doors on the outside world, and they descended underground, unbeknownst to everyone else. And for the next 880 days, they preserved the seeds and the plant crops for a generation to come. And when the war was finally over and they emerged, historians will tell us that the future of that nation was not ultimately dictated by the political uh, powers that be or the, 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 the military might. No, but it was dictated to by nine scientists underground fighting for something bigger. And actually at this moment, I want to help us in this narrative here to anchor our hearts that it's so easy to be swayed by the headlines of this world. So easy to see the petrol price, the, the property increases, the, the, the interest rates going through the roof, to see corruption on the rise, to, to, to stress about what is happening in the nation, what's happening in the world, what's happening at a geopolitical level, what's happening at a philosophical and theological and spiritual level, what's going on out there in the world, and, and it seems like it's getting darker and darker, and maybe even in your own life. The headlines say, divorce, betrayal, fear, insecurity, financially being crippled. What are we going to do with the next year ahead of us? How are we going to move on? And all these headlines may be declaring all the woe that's in the world, but I want to tell you the real battle is happening at a deeper level. It's happening underneath it all. And how I want to help us is that actually the longer we live, the more we'll bleed. You can write that one down if you want. <laughs> that actually, that if you're not bleeding yet by life, 
and the bruises of life, it's coming. Because Jesus himself even prophesied, he said, in this world, you will have trouble. You will have trouble. It's coming. It's, not, it's knocking at the door. It's, it's like the army are surrounding the city. It's coming. But I want to tell you, our, our future is not determined in the headlines. It's determined by what's going on underneath it all. And when the enemy comes, when the health fails you, when the relationships fall away, when the business goes bankrupt, when the economically, economic collapses around you, when the pressure gets too much, I want to tell you what will sustain you in that day is not something cheap, but rather something that's deep. And I would take us a little deeper this morning, Life Changes Church. So let's go to Scripture, Genesis chapter 50, as we bring this whole thing to a conclusion. Genesis 50, the last little... Uh, Push from the narrative of Joseph says this, after burying Jacob, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had accompanied, accompanied him to his father's burial. But now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him, they said. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of the God of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. Then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? In verse 20 he says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I'll continue to take care of you and your children. Let's pray. Father, we come humbly to your word. And I thank you, though, Father, that your word this morning collides with our lives. It collides with the economics, with the emotions, with the relationships, with the turmoil, with the despair. It collides with our hopes and dreams, our victories and our losses. Your word collides with them at every level. And I thank you, Father God, that the headlines of our lives would bow to what's going on underneath it all. I thank you, God, today I know I'm preaching to broken hearts, to betrayed hearts, to devastated hearts, to weary hearts, to dead hearts. But I thank you, Father God, that we would see that you are at work in amidst the rubble, doing something deeper than we could ever imagine. Show us these things by the power of your word, the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 I love this narrative of Joseph's life. Started with the promise, descended into a pit, into Potiphar's house, falsely accused, thrown into jail, forgotten there for over a decade, and eventually being called out by Pharaoh to take the place of prime minister and prominence over a nation, and end up feeding and securing the future of the nations around in that area, as well as his own family. This incredibly tumultuous life, this life of ups and downs, this roller coaster narrative, finds its conclusion in chapter 50 with Joseph facing the very brothers who betrayed him. And him saying these words in chapter 50, verse 20, what you intended for harm, God intended for good. Yeah. Now, let me say, if Joseph on day one, before experiencing all the highs and lows, said that phrase, what God intends for harm, what man intends for harm, God intends for good, it would sound very cheap. But on the back end of going through the very depths and the heights of life and everything in between, him being able to look back and say that with confidence, he is saying underneath it all, there was something more of significance going on. 
And I want to help root us in what is going on underneath all of that, underneath all the ups and downs of our lives, for us to have a faith that is deep and not cheap. Number one, we have to understand there's a God who's above it all. For us to go deep, we have to be able to see a little bit higher. See that there's a God above it all, a God who's above all creation. I love the fact in this narrative there was a famine for seven years that rocked the socioeconomic climate of the day. It totally brought that all the nations of the earth to its knees in that moment. And yet, God knew it was going to happen way before it came. He even spoke into being that this famine was coming. It brings into mind a moment in March 2020 when Cyril Ramaphosa called the nation for our first of many family meetings saying, Aish, COVID. And let me tell you, as we all scrambled and all the headlines started to say gloom and doom and what is the end of the world as we know it, echoing the strains of REM and the like, and we didn't know what to do with ourselves, let me tell you, in heaven, God was not calling a cabinet meeting going, Holy Spirit, Jesus, get the angels. COVID, what is that? What is that? No one told me about this thing. Goodness, what is this thing? No, no, no. God was above it all. He knew it all. He wasn't unshaken in the slightest. And I want to remind us in this reality that God is supreme over all creation. He's above all creation. Colossians 1 verse 15 says, Jesus existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, the first verse in the Bible, is some of the most powerful theology you and I need to imbibe. It says this, in the beginning, God. You actually don't even have to read further than that. <laughs> right there's the deepest theology that you and I need to know. In the beginning, God. Not you, not your troubles, not the headlines that plague your life. No, in the beginning, God. And that, that one phrase of theology deals a death blow to every other philosophy and man-made idea of thought that the world knows. You'll see on the screen behind me the idea of dualism, this, the, this philosophy that there's these two cosmic beings at war, the, the enemy and God, and, and one in the left corner, Satan, weighing in at X amount, and undefeated in the right corner, God, and, and in this situation, who's going to come on top? God, Satan, oh, Satan won this battle, oh no. It, that phrase, in the beginning, God, tells us that is completely false, because this is the reality, that it cannot be true, because we see God has created all things, and he has and had no equal. There's no other. It's God who's above it all. The reality of this polytheism that says that there are many gods and many options and many alternatives. Let me tell you the reality if we read the first verse of scripture, polytheism is ruled out, ruled out because in the beginning God, there was no other gods present. The only uncreated being, God. This idea of pantheism that's been made popular by the talk show hosts of our day and avatar and the ilk of those nature that the trees are God and the nature is God and if God, find God all around you. No, the reality tells us in the beginning, God, there is a creator who created all things. Yeah. Creation is not God, there is a creator above it all. And this idea of existentialism, which is the, the ideology of our day, which says, as, as Nishi will say, as you think you become, as man thinks he is, is this idea that you, you will it and bring it to being in your own DNA, that if you think it, you can become it. Let me tell you, that thing is laid to waste by the reality that in the beginning, God, it tells us that there's the unchanging nature of a creator, and the truth is found in him, not in the opinion of the created. In the beginning, God, he's above it all. He's above it all. I love this reality that we also told in Colossians 1 verse 17 that Jesus is the creator and the sustainer of all things. Yeah. That means by the, it says he created the world by the power of his word. God said, let there be light 
and light went, yes, sir, where do you want us? Let there be waters, yes, sir, this far and half, no more further. Creation obeyed the power of the word. The Bible goes on and reminds us that the world is sustained by the power of his word. Sustained, held in being. That means right now you think, oh, everything's falling apart. Let me tell you, no, it's not. Because if Jesus took a step back and stepped away from his creation right now, it would be as if it was Thanos and Avengers. You're all gone. Boo. The fact that you're taking breath right now is because he is sustaining you by the power of his word. He is above all creation. And that's so helpful for me because if life feels random, out of control, or falling apart, let me tell you, as the old song goes, he's still got the whole world in his hands. He's above it all. He's above all creation. He's also above all powers and authority. All authority and power. I love the fact that Joseph knew the fickleness of man's authority. You see, this one Pharaoh called him out of prison and changed his world, and now he's got this power and authority. But if you flick over one chapter, Genesis 50, Joseph is in power. Yay! One chapter in Exodus chapter 1, it says, verse 8 says, another Pharaoh came after that Pharaoh who did not know Joseph. And he then imprisoned the Israelites. Political power is fickle. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. And this is the incredible reality that most of the New Testament was not, was, let me tell you, what, the New Testament wasn't written to Christians sipping their latte on their beachfront plots, looking out the ocean, Instagramming their Bible, going, God is good. Oh, what God intended, what man intended for harm, God intended for good. Amen, hashtag that. No, the New Testament wasn't written to you in your spa retreats or to some theologians passing out the Greek and Hebrew. No. The Bible, New Testament, was written as an underground rebellion manual of how to have a deep theology when the world is going to hell. How to stand, not on something cheap, but something deep. Because the New Testament was literally written to the church who are under persecution. Under Caesar and Nero, that Caesar Nero of the day, Christians literally had their property taken away from them just because of their belief in Jesus. Their CVs were put in way at the bottom of the pile, not because of their qualifications, but because of their, their theological stance. They, and more overtly, they were literally tied up at stakes, set, feathered with tar and set alight to just become the light of Nero's parties. Load shedding for what? Well, just burn the Christians. More overtly, we know it, they were thrown into the Colosseums to be used for entertainment and held and, and mauled to death by lions. This was the lot of Christians. So let me tell you, when they would have been read these scriptures and they would hear the scriptures saying what man intends for harm, God intended for good, it was not something cheap for them. It had to be deep. Because their very life and existence was under threat. But they had to get a revelation that God was above all political power, even though they probably cried out night and day, how long, O Lord, how long? I grew up in Zimbabwe, and for 37 years, under Mugabe's rule, we prayed in prayer meetings, black and white alike, praying, God, how long ago, God, how long? And it felt that night would never end. And when it did, and a little glimpse of, oh, political power is changing, it was just the changing of the God and more of the same. But I want to tell you, here's the good news. Political powers come and political powers go. Right now, if you go to the very center of, the, of Caesar's world, Rome, the power of Rome, the greatest empire the world has ever known. Right now, the very people who try to squash out the people of God, its very highest existence is as just left in rubble. And you and I can pay 20 euros just to have a guided tour of its ruins. Caesar's long gone. Rome has fell. But the church remains. Yeah. Egypt came. Egypt fell. Babylon rose. 
Babylon fell. Rome rose. Rome fell. Every political power waged his fist at God, and God says, I'm above you all. And this is the incredible reality for us that we get to remind ourselves that we are not at the center. Neither is our boss, neither is our doctor, neither is our spouse, neither is our kids. He is, why do the nations rage in vain? The one who rules in heaven laughs. And that gives me courage to surrender out of control situations to his control. And it's not just political power. Let me tell you, it's also demonic powers and principalities as well. I remember a few years ago, getting a phone call late at night. I was at home, and I get a phone call from two ladies who are counseling a woman uh, here in this building, and they phoned me a little bit traumatic, and they said, Gabe, uh, there's a lady here who's having a demonic manifestation. Now, I'd watched Exorcist of Emily Rose and, and the like, and I was like, yeah, sure, so what do you want me to do? He said, Gabe, you're the man of God. Come help us deal with this. I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, it's me. Oh, I'm on my way. And I remember on my way, coming, driving, and goes, I'm like, why does the world seem so dark? Why, is this, why are all the lights off? And I'm turning the, the, the radio of the Hillsong in my car, going, Jesus, we're living for your name. I'm like, oh, shout to the Lord. I'm like, Jesus, anything, God, please help me. And I remember arriving, and they are standing at the door going, you have the answers. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I've got the answers. I mean, I've got the answers. And I, and I, and I thank God that in that moment, the depth of my reality in that moment faced with that moment and moments like that have happened again and again it's not a cheap theology that sustains me it's the fact that i know something deep he has got all authority over every demonic principality and power let me tell you i tell you right now that the 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 greatest demon in the recess of hell that thinks that it has any authority has much less authority than even the pinky in our fingers because of the one who sits enthroned right now every demonic stronghold in your life can be broken by buying your knee to him yeah, because I believe the church has handed over spiritual authority to the enemy, not, not primarily by doing Ouija boards and, and you know, uh, doing seances and listening to Nickelback played backwards. <laughs> Let me just quickly say on the, on the side, I feel Nickelback played backwards is probably better than playing it forwards. But anyway, personal view. But I want to tell you, in a serious notion, I think the way that we have handed over spiritual authority to the enemy is because we have been straddling two kin kingdoms. We, we've, we've been in this world thing. Peter said in the book of Acts, says that God has made this Jesus both Lord and Christ. And the world loved Jesus as Savior. We just don't love him as Lord. Jesus, save me, help me. But I won't bow to you. And as the ancient Chinese proverb says, men in skinny jeans should not do the splits. I want to tell you, neither should the church. And I feel if you're, right now, I even believe if you're facing demonic oppression and strongholds, right now, this is Spiritual Warfare 101, bow your knee to Jesus. Make him Lord. Make him Lord over your finance. Make him Lord over your sexuality. Make him Lord, not your will, but, not my will, but yours be done. Yours be done. That's where the breakthrough happens. And this is the reality for you and I, is that it's not just in the Savior we sing to, it's in the Lord we submit to. God, all authority, he's above all creation, all authority and all powers and dominions. Secondly, we have to understand not a cheap theology, but something deep. We have to understand a God who is with you in it all. I remember being a teenager in Zimbabwe. I've got two older brothers, Damien, Simon, and I was the third of the three brothers. And if you're playing backyard cricket, you've got a bowler, you've got a batsman, and you've got a wicketkeeper. Any guesses which role I played for about 10 years of my life? 
Gabe, you'll be the wicketkeeper. It's a, it's, a, it's a code word for glorious ball fetcher. That was my job. And uh, there was one occasion, Simon dropped the bouncer, Damien went on the hook, uh, the ball cascaded over the top edge, went over the fence into the neighbor's backyard. It's my time to shine, guys. Got to go fetch the ball. Except for the fact this neighbor had a, a Rottweiler called Sheba. And uh, I remember, so we were, I was very tentative. My brothers hoisted me up and said, go get it. And I saw the raggedy old tennis ball on the lawn, and I'm moving across. And the tennis ball's, you know, it's been weather beaten, but it's also got some nice tape on the side, just exacerbates the swing. And then I was like, ready, I knew this ball. I was going up, I was about to pick it up. I'm looking around, look, thumbs up to the brothers. I'm like, go get it. Trying to be quiet, don't want to disturb Sheba. Pick up the ball, turn. And as I'm about to go back to the fence, my brothers, in their most kind-hearted way, started banging the fence and say, seek him, Sheba, seek him. At the corner of my eye, I started to see whispering death get up and start to come. <laughs> and I tell you, I, I, you guys, you might have seen Usain Bolt, but oh, Gabe Phillips suddenly found a fifth, sixth gear all of a sudden. And people have told me that white men can't jump. I, I give you exhibit A. That day, white man jumped. And I tell that narrative mainly also because I think the church have this idea that we, we think that often God has sent us into situations, moments of brokenness, darkness, when the world falls apart around us, where it feels like the enemy is snapping at our heels, and we think that he has abandoned us in that moment. Where are you, God? When the diagnosis comes in, when the doctor's room comes haunts around you, when you're sitting at the grieving bedside and saying that person, loved one is gone, when the relationship fails, when the bank balance bottoms out, when everything inside of you feels broken and lonely and traumatized, and you go, God, where were you in that moment? It's because we've got a cheap theology and not a deep theology. It says, I am with you through it all. I'm with you in it all. You see, all the way through the narrative of Joseph, in the, in, in the pit, in Potiphar's house, in the prison, there's this phrase that comes up again and again. Just go have a look for it. It says this, and the Lord was with Joseph. When it felt like he had been betrayed, when it felt like the headline said, forgotten, underneath it all, there was a God who said, I'm with you through it all. And this is the incredible reality for us. I remember moving from Zimbabwe to Durban, leaving our homestead, leaving uh, Sheba, our neighbors, and all of the others behind, leaving friends, leaving comfort, leaving the way of life, and our whole world being shrunk down to a two-bedroom flat in Morningside in Durban, and coming in with insecurities and headlines saying, lonely, no friends, wondering what my future will be, will we be able to afford varsity, will we be able to make a plan, and having all these emotional turmoil going inside of my heart, and I remember from the years 2005, 2009, all those headlines up, up above my life and my family's existence. But I re realized that God was doing something underneath it all. Because in a flat, number four Woodlands on 16 Last Road, there was a young teenage boy grappling with the fact that God was with me in amongst it all. Nobody knew it, but I would every single day start to read the word with a passion knowing that Jesus was with me. That, that actually I started to write the scriptures on my wall. I used to start to wait, couldn't wait till my mom and dad would leave home. So I'd have the small space to myself to sing out loud. And I'd declare the truth of God that though this is how I feel. This is what I see. This is who I believe God to be. And I remember changing even my Friday lectures. I would clear out the schedule and have to take up different subjects. Not advisable, but I did that so that I'd have a Friday off to pray and, and fast and seek God for the youth and church on Sunday. And, and nobody saw that. Nobody was there applauding, well done. It was done in secret. It was basically underground. But I'm telling you, the real battle was being fought underground. Yeah. Yeah. The Lord was with me. Yeah. 
the Lord was with me in that state. And I want to tell you, it reminds me of three young guys called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they were facing the political power of the day. As Nebuchadnezzar says, you will bow down to me. And they say, we will not. And he says, why? Because we serve a God who can save us. We serve a God who will save us. We also serve a God that even if he does not, we will not bow to you. And at that moment, Nebuchadnezzar said, okay, into the fire you go, certain death. And a moment when, if I'm them, I say, wait, that's not how the script is supposed to go. I took a stand for Jesus. He's supposed to come through for me. Where's the Savior? Where's the moment? The, the, the coming and riding in to rescue us out of the, 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 the lure of the enemy. Surely not. We stood for you, Jesus. Where are you, God? In the fire they go, and they realize in the fire, a fourth man appears in the fire with them. Fourth man, Jesus himself, appears in the fire. In Isaiah 43, verse 2, it says this, when you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through fire, you will not be burnt up. The flames will not consume you, for I am with you. I say today to every battered, broken, beaten heart, every weary heart, you're not alone. He has not abandoned you. He has not left you. He's still relentlessly pursuing you. And that is not something cheap. That's something deep. It's all happening underneath it all. The reason why it's not based on feelings, it's based on theology. Thirdly and finally, we serve a God, we see a God who's above it all. Underneath it all is a God who's with us through it all. And ultimately, there's a God working in it all. I love that phrase in Genesis 50 verse 20. It says, what man intended for harm, God intended for good. What man intended for evil, God intended for for good. You see, the, enemy, the headlines say the enemy has been having a field day in your life. Maybe the headlines say, he's stolen your health. He's stolen your peace. He's stolen your joy. He's stolen your dignity. He's stolen your future. <laughs> stolen your peace. Stolen your sound. Stolen your microphone. <laughs> what is going on underneath it all? Maybe you're like me and you've had moments where you're trying to make sense of the chaos, the, all the things that are going around in a macro level, in the micro level around us. And we say, God, what's your will for my life? God, what's your will? For, what are you doing? What are you actually doing through this all, God? Trying to make sense of it all. Well, I'm glad you asked Life Changes Church. You guys ask the best questions. Because let me tell you what God is not doing. God is not trying to make you rich. It's not on his agenda. Let me tell you, God is not trying to make you famous. He's not anxiously peering at your Instagram followers and saying, oh, how do I give them a bigger platform? He's not looking to give you earthly power. No, he's doing none of the above. I tell you what God is doing. God's will for your life. Romans 8 verse 28 says, all things work together for good for those who love God. Keep reading. At the end of that verse says, for those who've been conformed to the image of of his son. God's will for your life is to make you more like Jesus. Whether that's through health or sickness. Whether that's through wealth or poverty. Whether that's through abundance or heartache. In it all, God is working it all out for your good, which means he's making you more like Jesus. This is deep theology that most of the church don't get. 
I want to tell you what God is doing. What's your five-year plan in your life? God's five-year plan for you is this. He wants you to become more like Christ. What's God's 10-year plan for your life? He wants you to become more like Christ. It's his ulti- for, for your ultimate good and your ultimate joy is for you and I to become more like Christ. This is the will of God for your life. And I love the fact that he says all things. He is doing all things and working them for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. This is what he's doing. All things means all things. Yes, even when we can't see it, even the heartache, he is working to make you more like Christ. Even the mistakes, he's make, working to make you more like Christ. Even the, the moments when you have had setbacks, when you've had comebacks, when you've had victories, when you've had defeat, he's working all things to make you more like Christ. Christ. And this is the reality. I love the narrative of Joseph that in Genesis 50 verse 20, he can look back and see this and say clearly there was something underneath it all. But in the moments, most of that Joseph's life, I can tell you Joseph felt like he was being kept in the dark. In the, in the, in the pit going, what on earth was that God? You give me a prophetic word, a little moment later I'm in the bottom of the pit. How does that even happen? He's in Potiphar's house, he's starting to work and seems like, okay, maybe this is the plan for my life. And then all of a sudden, false accusation thrown in jail. God, what is going on here? Feels like I'm kept in the dark. He, he's there, then he, he gets um, with, he gets, the guys are baking a butt, then he's able to speak and interpret dreams. Oh, maybe this is it. Forgotten for another two years. What are you doing, God? I'm kept in the dark here all the way through. But here's the reality that even for Gabe Phyllis, for your life, that actually when I look at the narrative of my life of addictions and victories and battles and losses and defeats and loneliness and rejection and trying to work all this out, what are you doing, God? Feels like I'm kept in the dark. Here's the truth of the story. In that moment, you've been kept in the dark. He held you in the dark. His hand never left you in the dark. Jude said that you've been called, loved, and kept by Jesus. Kept by Jesus. The headlines may have said, raged above ground, but underneath it all, he has held you and not let you go. And this is not something cheap. This is something deep. You see, this is the reality. Joseph said, God preserved me and brought me to this position for the saving of many lives. And God above it all, God with you through it all, God working it all. So what is going on underneath it all? Here's the final salvo, final blow from this whole series, is to set this whole Joseph narrative up before you and I to tell you this grand truth. You and I are not Joseph. If you're trying to find yourself in this narrative, you're better off looking at the brothers because you and I are the brothers. We're the betrayers, we're the liars, we're the ones who have left people for dead, we're the ones who've walked away. Let me tell you, who is Joseph then? Another great question. Joseph is a type and shadow of Jesus. Underneath it all, Jesus, just like Joseph, was the favorite of his father. Jesus, just like Joseph, was betrayed by the ones he was sent to. Jesus, like Joseph, had his cloak ripped off him and dipped in blood. Jesus, like Joseph, was sold for silver. Jesus, like Joseph, was descended into the pit. Jesus, like Joseph, was sat between two thieves. One thief who was set free, today you'll be with me in paradise, and the other who was condemned to death. Jesus, like, just like Joseph, sat between the two thieves, a baker representing bread and a butler representing wine, the very essence of the gospel with him in that place. Jesus, just like Joseph, then ascended to the right hand of the power of the day and was given all authority over the land. Jesus, like, like Joseph, became the source of salvation to his brothers who betrayed him. Underneath it all, it's never about Joseph. It's about Jesus. This is the incredible reality for you and I, is that the headline said, God 
died on Friday. When Jesus went to the cross and he died and he yelled at Tetelesta, it is finished, paid in full, done. The enemy rubbed his hand and glee said, yes, it is. The headline has declared God has died at the hands of those who betrayed him. And as they laid him in the tomb, it looked like that he had lost all authority. It looked like God himself had abandoned his son. And it looked like the perfect will of God had been destroyed. But we know that what the enemy meant for harm, God always intended for good. Because the real battle was not being waged up here in the headlines. There in the ground, the Son of God, the God was laid in darkness, ultimately be raised to life eternally. This is the good news of the gospel. And I want to tell you this moment, Ephesians 1 verse 20 to 23 says this, God raised Christ from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe, everything from galaxies to governments. No name and no power exempt from his rule. And not just for the time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all. He has the final word on everything. And at the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. You see, what is going on underground will determine your headline. And I believe in this moment, God is going to remind the people of God that the promotable life is not bigger, better, faster, stronger. The promotable life is the church found on its knees saying, your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you so much for watching. If you'd like to take your next steps or find out what's happening in the life of the church, head over to our website or follow us on social media. We can't wait to see you soon.